afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the fireside chat, which is actually the last one for the month of May, believe it or not. Um, I'm Lisa Stearns. I'm here with Dr. Tim Cross, who is, of course, our senior vice president. And today we are going to have some additional information to share related to phase two of our return to the workplace. Plus, we are planning a special recognition for Robert Burns as he transitions to a distinguished faculty role. So before we get started, just a few uh, housekeeping items as usual. Be sure that your audio is muted. I did think, I think I heard a little bit of um, uh, background noise in somebody's uh, Zoom. So please check your audio. Um, use the chat function to ask any questions of Dr. Cross. You can post those publicly and you can also send them to me privately. And also there is always a recording of this um, particular chat. It will be posted to the coronavirus website um, for anyone to view and that will be available next week. So to get started, Tim, it appears that phase two for the Knoxville campus will begin on June 8th, um, which probably will have some influence on the Institute and our statewide offices. Can you share a little bit more information about that? Yeah, happy to, and uh, I think that's a great place to start today's chat. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, as always, it's great to see you. I hope you've had a good week. Uh, I know, uh, I feel like it's been a, a positive week uh, in many regards, seeing a lot of great reports about things happening uh, throughout our organization, and uh, appreciate each of you for what you do to contribute to those good reports. Uh, I think the uh, the notion uh, that we're, we will be obviously entering phase two soon and likely around June 8th uh, is probably in many ways uh, supported by the fact that uh, Governor Lee issued a new executive order last week. I referenced it briefly last Friday, but hadn't had a chance to digest it. Uh, Governor Lee's executive order 38 basically indicates that uh, the state will make some uh, phased uh, progress as well with regard to reopening uh, the, the state and the uh, economy. And largely uh, what uh, executive order 38 did was indicate some additional businesses that could open or reopen and outline some of the procedures that they're required to follow. So while it didn't directly deal with higher education, it, it certainly had some overall uh, ramifications as well. One of the, the key points uh, that, that I think sometimes gets lost uh, in, in thinking about uh, this phased reopening, even in Governor Lee's executive order, one of the key points is that uh, everyone who can work remotely should continue to work remotely. And I think we, we tend to get, uh, you know, really excited about uh, making progress, moving back uh, to uh, uh, maybe uh, conditions more similar to what they used to be. But let me just read you uh, one sentence from this order, and I think that'll share with, with you a little bit of the, the other context in this executive order. And it says, all employers and businesses are strongly urged to take all practicable steps to equip, encourage, allow, require, or permit employees to work remotely or via telework from home and employees and their customers should practice good hygiene, observe the health guidelines to reduce the spread of COVID-19 to the greatest extent practicable. So that, that's sort of an overarching statement that's in there. And then obviously the order goes on to say uh, some additional businesses that could open and how, but I think it's just worth uh, reminding ourselves that we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, people are still 
getting sick. Uh, the virus is still passing uh, from one person to another, and, and we can't let our guard down just yet. Nonetheless, uh, I think we've, we've seen some progress from the standpoint of additional businesses opening, uh, additional services being available, and, and I want to make sure the Institute is, is making progress in that regard in concert with the state, in, in cooperation with uh, UT Knoxville, and, and obviously uh, in concert with all of our local governments as well. So uh, that's sort of a, a long uh, entry uh, to this discussion, but uh, let me wrap up this sort of part of it by saying that our executive committee is going to get back together on Tuesday of next week. And we're gonna really take a sort of a chance to pause and reassess, look at where we are, look at uh, what the, the uh, uh, data is showing us in terms of the state and in our local communities, uh, look at what the University of Tennessee Knoxville uh, has, has decided and what their plans are, and then relook at our guidelines, see if any updates uh, or changes are necessary and think about uh, next steps in terms of phase two. That sounds great. Um, we have seen that the data is showing that the number of cases in Tennessee does continue to grow, which is a bit concerning. Um, it does reinforce our need to remain focused on staying healthy and safe. Can you talk a little bit about that um, and the importance of that? Yeah, you know, I'll be honest, uh, in, in early March, uh, when people were talking about this virus, and I was thinking of it like sort of any other virus, and I thought, okay, well, it's sort of like going into the normal flu season. We'll have a period of time where there are quite a few cases, and then those will start to decrease pretty rapidly, and then we'll sort of all start or stop talking about the flu, if you will. Well, clearly, this virus has not behaved uh, as, as other uh, viruses have. And while it seems things are getting better, uh, as, as Lisa just mentioned, we have an increasing number of cases every day. In other words, more people getting sick with uh, COVID-19 every day. So now the rate of increase has started to slow and in some uh, parts of the state, it, it's declining and that's very encouraging. So that we do see some, some progress. Uh, the number of hospitalizations has remained stable. Uh, number of folks on ventilators has, has remained stable and declining. So there are aspects of this that look positive, but we're still not a, at a point where we can say, okay, that's over, we're done with that, because uh, there are still many cases out there and additional people uh, being identified as, as positive cases every day. So what that means is uh, we, we have to remain diligent about washing our hands, about wearing face masks, about cleaning or disinfecting our, our workspaces, about maintaining social distancing, uh, and doing that self-check that we've talked about uh, every day before uh, we, we report to work, or report to our workplace, uh, I should say. So I, uh, I hope, and I know many of you have had a chance to look at the training that we sent out uh, early this week. That really, I hope, uh, provides you a great summary in 15 minutes of all those things I just talked about, certainly with with additional details uh, and hopefully provides everybody a good solid sort of foundation for what we need to be doing and how uh, as we move forward. Uh, double check this morning, we've already had 1,128 people uh, complete that training, which is over 53% of our workforce. So thank you uh, to, to uh, more than half of you out there. Uh, you've been doing a great job already. I uh, appreciate you giving up 15 minutes of your life to. Uh, to complete this training. I hope it's beneficial to you. Uh, to me, it, it 
gives us again a good quick summary of all the things we need to be thinking about. And uh, for those 48% uh, that are not yet complete, uh, please get that done. Uh, it won't take long. I think you'll uh, have a greater appreciation for the total approach uh, that we want to take. And it will benefit uh, your coworkers, your students, those you serve uh, out in the community, uh, if they know that we're doing everything we can, uh, according to Governor Lee's uh, executive order, to uh, do everything practically possible uh, to reduce the uh, spread of this uh, coronavirus. And a couple other points. Uh, you know, one somber point, obviously, and, and uh, never would have thought we'd, we'd be at this point, but you noticed uh, earlier this week, we passed 100,000 deaths in the US. And I, I just think it's worth pausing just a moment to think about that. Again, we feel like um, in the Institute, we've had one positive case. Uh, there's a, a bit of a tendency to think, what's the big deal? Uh, everything seems to be good. And yet 100,000 individuals have lost their lives across the country, uh, not to mention many hundreds of thousands uh, across the world as well. So, uh, you know, it's sobering to me to think about 100,000 individuals uh, in a three month period of time, uh, passing away from this virus. So again, I think it just sort of helps to frame things and helps uh, serve as a reminder that we should not take for granted that we've been healthy uh, and that we've been safe. Uh, and we wanna do everything possible to continue to protect others. And that's why we're doing things like wearing face masks and, and practicing uh, social distancing. It's not so much to protect us, it's to protect others we all need to uh, continue to do our part. Absolutely. And we might remind everybody that as far as the training goes, um, they, you received an individualized email and that's where you access that training. So make sure you didn't pass over that in your uh, email inbox. So, Well, um, as we know, we are having increased cases, but we also know that um, UT Knoxville is going to make the attempt to bring students back on campus and has announced a change in the academic calendar for fall of 2020. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the key points um, in that adjusted calendar? I will and, and uh, I, I would normally probably start off by saying well those of you at, at the research education centers and those of you in extension off campus you know just just take a break this doesn't impact you but as you'll hear in a moment uh, this is going to impact all of us at least a little bit. So uh, the decision has been made to rearrange uh, the academic calendar, the, the class calendar, uh, with classes starting August 19th and, and proceeding straight through until November 24th, a couple days before Thanksgiving. And then uh, after November 24th, all students will be excused to return home. Uh, and they'll take their, they'll have their study days and their final exams uh, off campus in an online environment. So all exams will be online, all final exams anyway will be online. And what, what the strategy is, is that once uh, students come to campus, we want them to stay and we don't want a lot of back and forth between uh, Knoxville and their hometowns, wherever that is, in order for us to reduce uh, any possibility of transmission by our students or the reduce the possibility of additional uh, positive cases coming back uh, from, from other communities. So think about it, isolation is the key really to, to all of this. And if we can isolate that whole student body uh, for the semester, uh, that, that reduces the number of risks we have. 
So with all that said, uh, if, if I'm Bob Hayes and I'm sitting in Jackson, Tennessee, I'm thinking, well, that doesn't impact me. Well, here's where it does. And that is that uh, in order to pull that off and have all the days needed to provide a full semester's worth of education, uh, faculty uh, with teaching responsibilities will be required to offer courses on Labor Day. And we all know Labor Day is normally a holiday, uh, but this year for those that have classroom responsibilities, Labor Day will not be observed as a, uh, as a holiday or a day off, again, for those that have to be in the classroom. And system-wide, then uh, the decision has been made that we'll, we'll make uh, Labor Day a floating holiday. And if you're required to work, then you can take that holiday as a day off some other time, uh, either uh, after Labor Day and before the end of the year. If you're in a, in a job that does not require you to be in the classroom teaching on Labor Day, you can choose to, to observe Labor Day or you can use it as a floating holiday some other time. So I, I don't think it's necessarily bad news for anyone. It's just a little bit different uh, practice than what we've had before. Uh, everyone will still get the holiday. It's just when they get it may change. Uh, and uh, hopefully uh, by doing that again, we'll, we'll be contributing to uh, the possibility of, of less risk of transmission of uh, coronavirus among our students and among our faculty uh, and uh, potentially among Tennessee communities as well. So I think it all works together and we'll have more information coming out about that holiday issue. Uh, Doug Bonner uh, will be uh, helping with communications on that shortly. So uh, Tim, we have received quite a few questions um, and, and one gets to this whole issue of uh, coming back on campus and how do we you know, continue being safe. So um, this person is just wondering how do we enforce all of these best practices because they have observed that some people are just ignoring them, refusing to wear masks, um, perhaps, um, you know, just just not being as safe as they possibly could and mindful of others around them. How do you put teeth into that type of enforcement? Yeah, that's a great question and a great challenge. Uh, on the one hand, we, we absolutely want everyone to follow these guidelines. On the other hand, we don't want to create the hand-washing police or the face mask police uh, and, and, you know, act as a uh, uh, police force uh, across our campuses and offices. My recommendation is uh, obviously what we've got to do as, and this is all of us, establish a culture that we are going to follow these practices. And remember that many of these practices are not to protect us individually, it's to protect the people we work with. So. You know, do it out of respect for your coworkers. Do it out of respect for your students. Do it out of respect for, for the people in the community that you serve. Uh, there, it feels a little odd to wear a face mask. I know I've been doing it. Uh, it almost feels like there's a bit of stigma to it. What we need to do is figure out a way that the stigma should be on those who aren't wearing face masks uh, and encourage them to get with the program to help us to respect others and to protect others. Now, if you're out in a field uh, planting soybeans and there's nobody within 50 feet of you, I don't think we need to charge out and you know slap a mask on you and say, you gotta do something about this. But if you're in a building, uh, in a county office or at our recs or on campus and you're walking up and down the hallway, I'd like to see you in a mask and I'm wearing a mask. I know others that I run into are wearing masks. You won't be alone. Uh, and by wearing that mask, you'll be making a strong statement that 
you know, you have appreciation for your coworkers, you have appreciation for others. None of us know if we've got the coronavirus and are asymptomatic. Uh, so there's no way, uh, unless you've gone and had a test every morning, uh, that you're gonna know if you're a carrier necessarily. Uh, wearing a mask is just one good, easy way uh, to uh, prevent uh, transmission uh, for those of us that, who may be uh, positive and asymptomatic. So uh, that's, that's uh, now let's say, all right, all that's good, but I still see somebody out in the hallway here not wearing a mask. I suggest talking to that individual supervisor if that person is known or to uh, you know, someone uh, with our human resources office and let's see if we can't counsel through this as opposed to making it punitive. I'd much rather thank someone for doing the right thing than penalize them for doing the wrong thing. So uh, for those of you that are washing your hands, wearing your masks, cleaning your workspaces and so forth, thank you. Uh, we appreciate it. I think it's largely why we've had such a positive experience thus far. Uh, for those of you that, that feel like uh, I'm not gonna get sick, I don't need to worry about a mask. Uh, again, remember it's not about you, it's, it's about others. Uh, please do the right thing. So along the lines of students coming back on campus, someone would like to know if the, if the students will be required along the lines of enforcement uh, to stay on campus and not go home. Let's say there's a family celebration or an emergency or whatever it could be. Will they be required to stay here? Yeah, I don't think we could enforce uh, that requirement even if we wanted to. So I think we're doing everything possible to uh, create a, an environment that they want to stay here. So there's been discussion about additional activities, uh, about ways to uh, encourage uh, individuals to stay on campus. Uh, but uh, clearly, again, we're not in a police state. Uh, we uh, are not in a situation where we can dictate uh, personal behavior every hour of every day. But uh, what we want to do is create a culture and a climate where everyone wants to work together and do the right thing. So we also know that students, many of them, do participate in rec sports. And uh, Dr. Ivy would like to know about um, any information regarding rec sports, are these going to be allowed or, um, you know, how will we handle that? She's particularly interested, of course, in the equestrian team practices and how do you do that in, by social distancing if they can actually occur? Hmm, that's a great question. I've not had that one before. Uh, let me see, I need a lifeline on this one. Uh, <laughs> any chance uh, Dr. Beal or Dr. Steyer might be with us and, and perhaps they've heard some discussion about that? Unfortunately, I've not heard discussion about that yet. I don't think that's been decided. Uh, and my crystal ball is cracked. So um, it's a little hard to look in the future. So I know why don't, uh, We've been concentrating mostly on scheduling of classes and how to accommodate classes safely. Why don't we follow up and see if there's been any discussion about uh, clubs, Kala and Dr. Ivy, we can uh, get back with you and, and perhaps those others who have, you know, responsibilities or interests in some of those student clubs. Uh, we'll try to follow up on that. I do know that uh, in the uh, governor's executive order, contact sports are prohibited. So you say, well, I hear the football team's coming back to town. How is that, you know, how does that work? They're coming back for conditioning training uh, and non-contact uh, practice opportunities, but, but not contact sports. 
So then I think Dr. Ivy is saying, well, riding a horse is non-contact. Uh, it, it is unless you uh, jump a horse the way I do, then you come into contact with any manner of things, uh, but uh, hopefully not another human being. So we'll check on that, uh, Dr. Ivy, and see what we can learn uh, if there's been any discussion about that. And if not, we probably need to put it on the radar screen. Again, it's one of those items we need to think through uh, as, as we welcome 29,000 students back to campus. Mm -hmm. um, so another person's asking about um, the governor's announcement about departments cutting by 12%. How does that affect um, this person's particularly interested in extension, but I think it's relevant to the entire institute and probably the entire university, actually. Yeah, at this point, we've we've had no uh, no communi direct communication uh, about any reductions to our budget, so that that announcement uh, is separate from uh, higher education and certainly separate from UT Institute of Agriculture at this point. What we're waiting on uh, right now is is the legislature, the General Assembly came back uh, this week, and they've been taking up uh, the state budget, looking at uh, what the impacts have been for the, the past several months and then projecting uh, what, what the budget outlook uh, is for next year. Uh, so we do expect there may be some, some uh, possible budget reductions, but we don't know and we have not been informed. So at this time we're making you know, no, no staffing reduction, certainly no cuts uh, of any kind, but we're encouraging everyone to be conservative. Uh, it's not a time to go crazy uh, in terms of spending year-end funds or anything else. Uh, we need to, to be practicable and think about uh, managing the resources we have wisely. The Institute's in very sound uh, financial shape. Uh, we're not, uh, not in a, a crisis by any means, and, and we'll watch very carefully to see what, what the next year's budget holds, and then uh, certainly uh, plan accordingly if, if there uh, is a reduction of any kind, uh, we'll, we'll make plans and do our very best to absorb that centrally uh, in any, any possible way. So Dr. Cross, we've had three questions all related to travel and particularly travel outside of the state or outside of this 50 mile um, range that we have in our guidelines currently. And uh, with summer coming up and people, you know, hoping to visit loved ones and, and do some things outside the state, the question really is, what is the status of this 14-day self-quarantine? Um, is it necessary? Can it be revisited? Um, your thoughts on that? Yeah, great. And I think I recall a couple or three weeks ago at one of these fireside chats, I encouraged everyone to take annual leave, didn't I? So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm uh, to blame for some of this, if you will. Uh, I still feel strongly that we should all take annual leave. Uh, however, I also feel strongly we've got to protect one another. So, so let's start with our top priority that we agreed upon going into this pandemic, and that was to protect the, the health and safety of our employees, of our students, and of our uh, stakeholders that we serve across the state. With that in mind, uh, as people travel to other states, obviously, uh, transmission of, of the virus uh, increases as people interact more with, with other individuals. And I, I know uh, even myself, of course, I've stopped at the grocery store. I've, I've bought milk and people said, well, you know, if you're going to the store, you're interacting with others. There's a big difference between passing someone in an aisle and even spending, you know, 
two minutes at a checkout stand versus spending a week in close proximity with others in another location. So that was the, the reasoning behind our thought process that, you know, if, if you're uh, out and around within the state, that's one thing, but if you're traveling uh, long distances and spending prolonged periods of time out of state, uh, then your return uh, poses a risk. I'm not saying it guarantees anything, but it poses a risk, uh, perhaps not to you because you've already experienced the risk, uh, it poses a risk to others that, that there may be uh, the possibility of coronavirus transmission upon your return. So that was the logic behind saying, if you're going to go somewhere else and spend some time and then return, uh, we, we expect you to have made arrangements to be able to work from home for 14 days. And then when you come back, your coworkers are gonna feel some assurance that uh, you, you have not brought anything back with you. Uh, you're not gonna be a source of community transmission and, and you'll be welcome in the workplace. I think um, the notion of, well, uh, you know, we're, we still got a lot of cases going on, but it's summertime, let's just relax that restriction. I'd love to, but I don't think now is yet the time. So we'll talk about that topic more uh, next week as well. I, no, no bigger, I, well, I, I'm uh, certainly a proponent of spending quality time with family and summer vacations are a great way to do that. I've done it myself uh, virtually every year and I would love to do it again this year, but right now, my plans are on hold and we'll see how things shape up. And I know each person needs to make their own decisions. What I would say is, you know, I sure don't want to prevent anyone from taking leave and, and visiting family or spending time with family at, at some beach destination. Plan in advance, do everything you can such that when you return, you can work remotely for that two week period uh, without total disruption of, of uh, what, whatever your responsibilities are and just build that into the plans for the vacation, if, if at all possible. And that way we can both take the vacation and your coworkers who, uh, who you'll return to will, will have that assurance that uh, they're working in a safe environment as well. So I know again, it's not about yourself, it's about the people you work with and the people that you serve. That's, uh, that's why we're, we're uh, still uh, enforcing or requiring those restrictions. And obviously that's a bit voluntary as well, right? Uh, we don't have police set up uh, at, at uh, every uh, highway on the borders of Tennessee. We don't know if you don't tell us, but I would sure uh, encourage everyone to be open and honest about this. Let's plan ahead and let's not have a spike like we've seen in a couple other locations in Tennessee uh, in, in a rapid outbreak uh, that, that occurs over a very short period of time. We wanna stick with our track record. So this question may be one actually the executive team may want to take up in the meeting next week, but uh, it is along the lines of close proximity to people and that is some of our fairs um, are planning to actually happen and they're planning, they're scheduling them now late for later uh, in the summer, even into the fall. So are we requiring our employees, extension employees, tend to go to these and, and um, you know, help support. Are we requiring them to go? How, do, how are we going to handle uh, having our employees at these types of events? And it was uh, uh, county or regional fairs. Was that the question, Lisa? Yes, about uh, county fairs in particular, yes. 
Well, I guess I start on that one by thinking about all right, what are what are the responsibilities of, of anyone uh, with regard to events like this? And uh, if if these are events that are historical and that traditionally we've been involved with, I think we should, you know, determine uh, whether we can continue to be involved uh, and do so safely. In the 89 counties of the state, beyond the the six major metro areas. Uh, again, Governor Lee's order indicates that groups of up to 50 uh, are now permitted, uh, but uh, they have to practice social distancing. So the six foot spacing uh, is a requirement, face masks and so forth. So that certainly adds an element of, of uh, safety, if you will, to those kinds of events. And I think it goes on to, to state that uh, even groups bigger than 50 uh, can uh, be uh, approved or, or uh, carried out, again, provided that there are plans in place uh, for uh, the health protections that we've talked about. So I know uh, even some of the amusement parks certainly are now operational. The zoo uh, here in Knoxville has opened. Uh, they're certainly uh, involving crowds of more than 50 individuals, but they're conducting them in a way that we, you know, practice that social distancing and require uh, health restrictions as they carry those out. So I think the question then becomes, can we do those affairs uh, in such a way that we are in alignment with, with the governor's executive order, with CDC guidance, uh, and not uh, place individuals in, in harm's way uh, and expose them to a lot of risk. So uh, that's a long-winded answer. Uh, you know, so saying you've got to go no matter what the conditions are, I'm not sure I would feel comfortable with that. But I would also say if you've been part of the planning and the planning includes uh, you know, recognizing these restrictions and this health guidance and that's in place, then it would seem that we've got a, an environment that should be safe and should be uh, conducive to carrying out educational programs and serving the community. Right. So here are some about um, facilities, um, and I'll, I'll sort of lump these together for you. Uh, when will the buildings be unlocked? So let's just talk about that one. I've got that on our agenda for next week. And I think that's probably referencing buildings on campus, but there's also a question about county office buildings too, I suspect, and, and perhaps the recs as well. So we're gonna talk about that next week to see if we should or could make a change in our posture there uh, with regard to buildings. And then what about cleaning? What is the responsibility of those that are having to use their space right now and facilities role? Because I think some feel that perhaps facilities is, is not cleaning everything as they should and it's falling on the individual. So um, how is that going to be handled um, in the here in the very near future. Good, I'll answer in general, but I'll also indicate uh, there's a really detailed uh, one-page summary. I'm sure you can read this, uh, especially <laughs> with my virtual background, uh, but there is a one-page summary about uh, facility services cleaning procedures posted online and we'll make arrangements to, to make that available to everyone if you haven't found it uh, previously. But long story short, I think uh, facility services uh, is to provide uh, cleaning and sanitation once a day, but they're not gonna be in any office spaces repeatedly throughout the day. And that obviously means that we have to take some responsibility personally 
uh, for things like our keyboards, uh, our, our desks, our doorknobs uh, in and out of the office, uh, worktops and so forth. Uh, and that's actually one of the topics on our agenda for next week as well, uh, because I say all that and then I uh, expect folks are gonna say, well, where do I get the cleaning supplies to do all that? So we wanna make sure uh, if that's uh, an expectation, which, which it is, it's even referenced in our uh, training, we wanna make sure the materials are out there to support that, particularly as we scale up uh, into phase two with uh, perhaps a few more folks uh, on site. Now, it could be that our departments and our county offices and our recs all have a handle on that, but I'm not certain of that, so I want to talk that over with our exec committee, and if there's needs out there, we want to respond to those and provide the needed materials. And then finally, if there are spaces that aren't being cleaned that should, I think uh, that can, again, be uh, shared with supervisors, either department heads or building uh, managers, you know, bring it to uh, Steve Blaffenheim's attention, make somebody aware that an area is not being serviced. It could be that facilities just has not determined that that's a space being used regularly and it, it wasn't on the list. Uh, so I, and recognize that facilities also was asked to scale down and, and slowly scale back up again. So they're not at 100% uh, at uh, workforce, just like we're not, and, and we gotta be uh, reasonable uh, in working with them. Uh, they have children at home just like we do. They have, uh, some of them are vulnerable just like some of us are and so forth. So let's, let's recognize our coworkers and facilities have, have challenges. Also try to work together and do what we can uh, in, in cooperation with them. And finally, uh, if you're on campus, there is uh, a listing online that identifies uh, workspaces that have been closed due to either uh, suspicion of a positive case or confirmation of a positive case. So you can always check that. I'll reassure everybody right now, none of those spaces that are currently listed uh, are on the Institute of Ag campus, but they could be. And, and that's where it would be posted if we had such a closure. So if someone does test positive, uh, the immediate action is to close that workspace for at least 24 hours for cleaning and disinfection and up to uh, seven days if it can be closed without uh, any, any major inconvenience. And it's not the whole building, it's normally an office suite or a portion of a building. Uh, CDC doesn't uh, require an entire building be closed or evacuated due to one uh, positive case. Uh, we can uh, clean and, and sanitize common areas fairly quickly, but where the real risk is is within those areas where there's prolonged direct contact by an individual that, that had a positive case. So infrequent uh, areas uh, such as hallways, uh, stairways and so forth, there's, there's no reason, no benefit to closing those. Uh, it would only be the, the areas where individuals spent uh, uh, prolonged periods of time. So the very last question had to do with mail delivery and I see Joe Cagle has actually gotten on our chat and uh, answered that. Um, for us. So it looks like we're working on reinstating mail and package delivery, but during the next phase of all buildings will continue to be locked. The only building that will have a swipe access is plant biotech and CRC. Mail services are getting swipe card access, but will not have access to keyed lock buildings. So. Yeah. So I, again, uh, there's, a, there's multiple challenges there. First of all, uh, most of our buildings on the ag campus have keys, not cards. Mm -hmm. and, and 
Mail services doesn't have a key to every building. So if the building's locked, they can't get in. So that's a challenge. Uh, secondly, even if they have access to the building and they get in, if the department or unit is closed that the mail is being delivered for, they don't have any way to deliver the mail. So uh, there's a mul multiple uh, dimensions of this. And again, it's on our agenda to talk about on Tuesday uh, with regard to what we might do uh, for phase two. Well, great. It looks like those are the questions. And uh, so Tim, do you have some final thoughts you'd like to share with everyone? Well, I do. And, and first of all, I, I really want to thank all of you for your patience uh, and your positive attitude uh, through this. You know, I kind of whined a little bit earlier about people not wanting to do the right thing. Or, uh, you know, I know uh, the, the news about if I travel out of state and come back, having to wait 14 days uh, uh, is, is uh, really not very positive. But I also would flip that around and say many organizations are struggling with a workforce that's saying, I don't want to come back, please don't make me. And, and yet we seem to have <laughs> much of the opposite challenge. And that is, I'd love to come back, please let me. So uh, of the two, I would far prefer to be in our uh, condition and, and have the workforce that we have and the attitude that each of you has. So thank you for that. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to uh, portray that uh, we've got an uncooperative or uh, unwilling workforce. I know you all do uh, what's best and what's right for yourselves and your coworkers. So I really don't uh, lose much sleep about that. Uh, we'll have some areas we can do better and improve, uh, including in me, uh, but uh, we'll work together and, and we'll get through this. Uh, and one of these days we'll look back and say, boy, that was quite an experience, uh, but uh, we're not there yet. So let's keep looking forward. Uh, let's keep doing what we can uh, to stay healthy. And I know several times today I referenced, well, we're going to think about that. I know that's frustrating as well. We want to know today what, what tomorrow looks like and what the day after looks like. Uh, I apologize. We, we really don't have uh, every last step charted out here for the next several weeks, but we've tried to roll our decision making to be able to take advantage of the latest news and information as we've gone. So I feel like, again, next week's a good chance to sort of do a reset to see where we're at, see what revisions might be needed, uh, and then uh, take, a, take forth uh, the next few weeks and see what that brings forth. So thanks again for your patience and for your atti attitude uh, throughout this uh, pandemic. All right, let me, uh, so let's shift gears just a little bit. Uh, one of the things uh, I want to do is wrap up today, uh, our fireside chat today, by recognizing uh, Dr. Robert Burns for his uh, service as UT Extension Dean, uh, as well as his service to the University of Tennessee uh, since 1994. Uh, Dr. Burns uh, has, has really uh, provided excellent uh, leadership for our extension programs and for uh, been a, a team member here uh, ever since uh, uh, coming back from Iowa State University. Really uh, appreciate his work ethic, his dedication, his commitment to excellence. Let me just touch on a couple of the things uh, Robert uh, has achieved in the last several uh, years. Uh, things that were really quite difficult, took a whole team. I think he'd be the first to say that, and yet they were done uh, under his uh, watch. Uh, and they included things like a comprehensive external review of our 4-H program, and subsequently filling the new state 4-H program leader position. 
he completed a, an excellent salary equity study for extension agents and then implemented a salary equity adjustment for those uh, who were uh, deemed to be out of alignment. Uh, he uh, established funds and put together plans for several significant facilities uh, at Lone Oaks Farm, as well as at other 4-H centers. Uh, and that's really uh, re, uh, improved uh, both the look and the uh, capacity of those 4-H uh, centers and Lone Oaks Farm. He's developed a new five-year MOU with Tennessee State University, and that partnership is critically important, not only to UT Extension, but to the Institute of Agriculture. Uh, so we really uh, recognize and appreciate that. He's increased funding for UT Extension, increased the diversity uh, of Extension staff, uh, and really uh, been innovative in, in how that's been done. So I, I just want to uh, say that I appreciate Robert's dedication, his work ethic, his commitment to UT Extension and the university. I look forward to his future successes leading our uh, precision livestock farming program. Uh, I'm confident that uh, very quickly we'll be recognized nationally and internationally as a leader in that area. And I'd like to sort of wrap up my remarks by saying uh, that, that I asked a few of his friends and coworkers if they would like to share some remarks with him. And we've got a video that summarizes those. So uh, Mike Stanley, if you can play that video for us. Robert. Thank you for your service to Tennessee as Dean of UT Extension. The 2017 Tennessee Spotlight State Exhibit at Sunbelt Expo was just one highlight. And I'd like to thank you for your coaching and mentorship. And I especially appreciate the time we spent making county visits. Remember, as you transition back to biosystems engineering, keep our November day to go to Carter County for that fresh cut Christmas tree. Dr. Burns, on behalf of the Central Region, I want to show our appreciation for the great job you've done leading our organization over the past year or two. Uh, you've been an agent advocate, and you've done amazing things to help agents, and always been an advocate for the counties. Doing the right thing sometimes can be very difficult, and we know that's what you're doing. Uh, that's what makes you such an awesome leader. Uh, good luck in your new position, and we appreciate your service to us. Thank you. Greetings from Jackson, Tennessee. On behalf of the Western Region Extension Office and the 31 counties of West Tennessee, I would like to thank you for your leadership and vision that you have shared over the past three years as Extension Dean. Your vision and insight has strengthened the total program of Extension across the state of Tennessee. As a history buff, I would like to close with a quote from General Douglas MacArthur. A true leader has the confidence to stand alone, the courage to make tough decisions, and the compassion to listen to others. Thank you and good luck. Robert, your fellow deans at UTIA will truly miss working with you as a valued colleague and a dedicated leader. We wish you the best as you spearhead the new program of precision livestock farming at UT while being able to spend more quality time with your family and particularly your father. Greetings, Robert. 
on behalf of the statewide program leaders, we want to express our sincere appreciation for the outstanding leadership you provided while serving as Dean of UT Extension. Under your leadership, you planted fast growing trees with deep roots. The roots from these trees have made UT Extension very strong and the shade provided will enable us to better serve farms, families, youth, and our communities in the future. We wish you the best as you embark on the next chapter in your professional career as the UT Extension Precision Livestock Farming Specialist. Dr. Burns, thank you for your leadership as Dean of UT Extension. It has been my privilege to work with you for the past several years. Today, I bring greetings from colleagues across the state. We appreciate your leadership and we're proud of the many things that have been accomplished under your tenure. We know that your leadership has made a difference for Extension that will serve us well today and for many years to come. Best wishes. that we can't uh, be gathered in person uh, and shake hands and, and congratulate Robert in person, but uh, I appreciate each of you uh, for uh, participating in, in this uh, recognition. And I'd like to give Dr. Burns a moment if he'd like to share any, any reactions or, or remarks with the group. Well, thank you, Dr. Cross. And first to um, all the folks involved in the video, thank you, um, it means a lot to me. It's certainly been my privilege to serve in Extension Administration for the past decade and as Dean for the last three years. Over the last month, I've um, received hundreds of texts, emails, and cards from many of you across the state expressing words of kindness and gratefulness regarding my services, Dean. And that um, means more to me than I can share to you in words. My goal when I became Dean was that for however long my term was that I would leave Extension stronger than I found it. And I have certainly done my very best to try to do so. And um, I guess in the immortal words of Buck Owens, um, adios, farewell, goodbye, good luck, and so long. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Burns. And I see uh, a number of chats coming in. So uh, we, we'd all applaud, uh, except no one would be heard because we're all muted. So uh, let me just applaud on everyone's behalf. Uh, thank you for what you've done. Uh, wish you the best in your new role. And we'll look forward to continuing to work with you uh, as distinguished professor uh, in biosystems engineering and civil science. So with that, I think uh, we're going to wrap up today's program. Uh, thank everyone uh, for once again participating. Uh, we appreciate uh, all you do for the Institute. Stay in touch. Uh, bring the questions to us uh, so that we can know what the issues are. And I hope everyone uh, has the opportunity for a really uh, relaxing and enjoyable weekend. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.